Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Dabaoki, David Brothers, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, please follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. This week, we are doing a book. I actually just listened to the episode where I recommended it, and I did way too long of an introduction. So let's like get into it. <laughs> we are reading Ryoko Ikeda's Rose of Versailles. It is the classic 70s shoujo manga that I think it's fair to say changed everything. <gasps> let's see what publisher Udon Entertainment has to say about Ryoko Ikeda's Rose of Versailles. Oscar Francois de Jarget is a young noblewoman raised as her son by her father. As commander of Marie Antoinette's palace guard, Oscar is brought face-to-face with the luxury of King Louis XVI's court at Versailles. Joined by her servant André, Oscar is privy to the intrigue and deceit of France's last great royal regime. The Rose of Versailles, the Queen of Shoujo Manga, is available for the first time in English. This deluxe hardcover volume contains the first 22 chapters of Ryoko Ikeda's historical fiction masterwork. So, uh, upon re-listening to that last, and it doesn't really, the back cover copy is fine, but does not really encapsulate everything that Rose of Versailles is about, but I did want to ask, I actually let you guys read as much as you wanted to, and there's 22 chapters, it's actually three full volumes of Rose of Versailles in this hardcover, and I was like, you don't have to read it all. How much did everyone read? Chip, let's start with you, because you look the most shocked. Yeah, no, I forgot those instructions. (laughs) If I remember those instructions, I probably would have stopped, but... I read the full thing. Deb, yourself? Yeah, I went back and reread it today, so I read the whole thing. Wow, and David? Wow. I made it 400 pages in before wow. I ran out of time. But in my defense, I had a crazy week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was so on the train from Osaka yesterday, so I, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, so I've actually read the least of this out of the four of us, which I think is interesting. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? I read. I got to the end of the second book, and I was like, I became really aware that I was reading it for the podcast and not reading it for enjoyment because I was enjoying it, but I was like trying to go through and sort of get, cause it's, it's a long, it's a long series, it's a long, long book. And so I stopped. I was like, no, you're not just going to like cram this down your gullet so you can talk about it on the podcast, read it. Cause it's, cause I was, I was spoilers. I'm going to go first this week. I was enjoying it actually. And I was like, man, I don't want to just, I ran out of time and I wasn't going to like force myself to read it too quickly. So yeah, I, I brought it up because I was curious to see how everyone would get. So yeah, I I did not read the whole thing, and I feel like I've scandalized the group here. <laughs> well, I just I just want to I just want to say that um, that is the greatest excuse for not doing your homework ever. Like yeah, I felt like I was doing good, it right? for the homework instead of enjoyment, even though I was enjoying it. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> I I can't explain it. My relationship with comics has changed quite a bit over the last few years, and reading something for work isn't i don't know man for, especially for like you know good works of literature i don't i don't want that anymore for myself yeah so it's well, a little I bit mean, blame, little bit blame, blame the guy that recommended this book i, I forget <laughs> which one of us did that i think, I think it was one david, of mine <laughs> yeah it was one of david's picks david loves <laughs> historical fantasy <laughs> shoujo manga i love france <laughs> yeah, in, in France, and you're you're a bit of a monarchist, right? Of the four of us, you're the monarchist yeah, of the group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would have recommended if it was called like Bros of Versailles, where it's like dudes grappling oh, in Versailles. It's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have to change the story that much, actually. 
a lot of a lot of bros. Okay, so all of that out of the way, I've read the first two volumes of Rose of Versailles, which is only about two thirds of this book, right around page three fifty or so. So I want to toss it to the group with like a general. What did you all think? What are your first impressions of Rose of Versailles? And I think we have to start off with the bro of Versailles himself, David <laughs> Brothers, David. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm amazed I made it 400 pages, but I'm kind of glad I did because I did not like the first like half of the book much at all mm. to the point where when I was Googling it, I was maybe a hundred pages and I was like, oh, the writer's a communist or she's in the communist party in the sixties. Yeah. So I was oh. like, maybe there's going to be oh. something coming on here that would like kind of vibe more with my sensibilities, but mm. it's still so monarchist to borrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. That Christopher laid on me mm-hmm. that like, I have so little sympathy for any of the characters, like until Robespierre shows up and then I'm like, okay, cool. Like we're getting to like the reign of the terror and all the things that need to happen are going to happen. So mm. it was like really out of my wheelhouse. Like, I don't think I like anyone in the book or super care about them from that perspective, but the art is really good. And kind of helped me put into context both Tezuka and Monkey Punch, like the Lupin the Third creator. Mm. Yeah. And it also made me realize something that's probably going to make Chris really mad about the storytelling of Rosa Versailles, which is that it's sort of like early 90s Top Cow image comics in terms of how the (laughs) pages are laid out. Yeah. Do tell. Explain that. So, yeah, I I see what you mean, but you got to go. You got to go with this. Run with this. This is great. I, I had a screenshot of a page. I was like, oh, Chris is going to be so mad at me for saying this out loud. It's totally true. <laughs> the, the scene where Antoinette first moves to um, France and then her mom gets like a really bad feeling. I don't have the page number. But there's oh, like yeah. some spiky yeah. sound effects. Yeah. Oh, I actually I screenshotted that as well, where the spiky sound effect is like on top of her. And like, yeah, it's almost yeah, like a physical I screen kept it thing. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this whole spread, like this in the facing page, I thought were really layered in a way that reminded me of like single page spreads from image books. Where you'll get like kind of the mm. one dominant figure. You'll get like characters busting out of the panel borders. And then also the lettering and kind of like mood art, like things. Usually it was like, you know, city debris. Yeah. That page. Yeah. Yeah. And I also screen grabbed it like that. <laughs> And this was the page that made me click. I was like, oh, yeah. It's, I don't know. I think this book uses it for better storytelling than a lot of the early image, early Top Cow stuff did. Oh, yeah. But it feels like it's of a, of, a, of a similar make or genre or something like that. Kind of cool. Hmm. One of the things that I think people talk about in the critical reappraisal of Rob Leefield's work, and I think Mark Miller sort of kicked this off back in the day, was, and we're getting into American comics here, was the idea of... Rob has like so much energy on his page, but no one ever actually dissected what that means, especially Miller. Miller liked to just say like Mm. one sentence things and be like, keep moving. And Rob Leefield's pages, like you look at the early pages and there's so much energy on them. Like, and you're like, well, what does that mean? And it's like the character, uh, Rob Leefield would often have characters superimposed on top of the panels that they were in. So like he would actually cut the backgrounds of the panels off and have like, just sort of it would become almost a design element of the background floating behind the character rather than doing like a full bleed or like obviously speed lines was a big thing. But yeah, I think that that kind of emotional storytelling is at the core of the storytelling of this book. It is about like feeling what is going on as much as reading what is going on in the history of it and the characters and whatever, especially because yeah, this is a book that was aimed at like, like, 
as David says, and then we'll get into a little bit later, it was trying to deliberately age up shoujo comics, trying to make shoujo comics a little for an older audience, going from like like little girls comics to maybe adolescent or early teens, having more complicated ideas and more complex feelings and thoughts and emotions. So that is what this book is all about. And I think doing things like having the sound effects float on top of the characters and almost look organic. I like the I am so impressively uneasy page it is a good example of it. Also, the like swirling black mist behind some of the characters when they're feeling upset and uneasy as well, I think is a really good example of that. So yeah, David, I'm totally on board. The Spidey Sense. Yeah, the Spidey Sense one is such a good one. So yeah, totally on board. Absolutely agree with you. Let's move on. Deb, what did you? what were your initial impressions of Rose of Versailles? When this first came out and Udon was going to publish it, this was the first time I've actually read more than one chapter of it. Because famously, mm. for many years, the only chapter you could read of this was in Fred Schott's Manga Manga book. And it's yeah. only that one chapter where Antoinette is having this kind of like passive-aggressive like war with Madame du Barry. Mm. So I knew what I was getting into with this manga. Lots of sparkles, lots of roses, lots of drama. But it was so interesting to read three whole volumes of it because it does something that reminds me of Tezuka's manga at the time, too. I mean, it can get serious and very dramatic. Then it breaks it up with these weird moments of humor <laughs> that yeah. are, I, I have mixed feelings about. Like, I think, okay, this makes it, you know, lightens it up because otherwise it's a historical dirge of, we all know she's going to die at the end. So <laughs> what? let's keep going. <laughs> like, oh, all the, all the signs are there. Oh, it's like she ran right through the sign that says, oh, you know, danger curves ahead. And she's careening towards the edge of the cliff, forgetting about the sign that says, slow down. Like, there's all through this first volume is, okay, there's so many ways she could have avoided the end that we all know is going to happen to her. <laughs> but... She ignored it or forces around her like made it difficult. So there's this yeah. interesting mix of like his history. Like there's a lot of things I didn't know about Marie Antoinette's life, right? I mean, most of us only know this thing about, oh, let them eat cake and then she got her head cut off and oh she, you know, all kinds of decadence and while people were starving. I feel like this manga tries to apologize for her a little bit or give her more context. Like hmm. actually she, you know, she was us. She was a girl who got married, and she was out of a political pawn, and she wasn't that bright. <laughs> she wasn't that bookish, and she was very naive, and and she meant well, but you know she was misled all these kind of ways. So on that level, the history part is interesting. But I feel like the more I read it, the more I realize Ryoko Ikeda is not that interested in Marie Antoinette. She's way more interested in Oscar mm. as a character, because Oscar is the the lone wild card. Like you may know what's going to happen to Marie Antoinette, but you don't know what's going to happen to Oscar. Something we should mention is that so this is a historical retelling of like Marie Antoinette's life. And it started out very much as that. The first volume that David really bounced hard off of is just Marie Antoinette's life based on like research that Akeda Sensei did, where the only real fully fictional part was the introduction of Oscar de Jarget, who is like the, the captain of the guard. And as the series goes on, it moves away from being a sort of retelling of Marie Antoinette's life and becomes about the revolution and about revolutions in general. 
and Oscar gets to take center stage. And I think that that's really interesting because as a completely fictional character, you could do whatever you want. You're not bound by like what happened in the real world. And we start to see that in, even at the beginning of the second volume and the third volume that are contained within this book that we read. But I do want to say to your point about we all know what's going to happen to reruns from it. I love how like the second volume in here starts off with sort of like a downcast Oscar, you know, just giving these like frightful portends of the future. And it's like, that's the cheatingest storytelling you could possibly do. <laughs> it's like, yo, you're going to have someone say something. I fear something bad will happen to her. And it's like, we all know that's like saying, oh, this ship is unsinkable at the beginning of the Titanic. Like, that's cheap. <laughs> but also, for, for the audience in the 70s at the time of, of young ladies, like, oh, but what could happen to Maria? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so good. And it's, I don't, I think it's not cheap. I think it's unearned, but I think it's delightful on the page. I'll throw that in the show notes. Chip, your first impressions of Rose of Versailles. Well, I mean, much like David, I, I bounced off of it. I hate the monarchy. I hate it. Mm. I hate it, the concept of monarchy. But as I as I kept reading it, I had to kind of divorce my hatred of the institution and just kind of focus on the characters. And there's something interesting about kind of telling the story of Marie Antoinette from you know such an early age because it's like you know mentioned before like you know she ignored the signs like she could have changed she could have done this but like when you chart someone's life closer to the beginning, they never stand a chance. Like you, yeah. you understand you understand them more. Like you can be like, oh, she should have done this, but like when you see her in action and the people around her, and people that didn't, you know, keep her studying or whatever, or introduce her to like common people, she just she didn't stand a chance. So you 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 have a little bit of sympathy for her because of that because she's just, she's on a trajectory and like like I I don't care about like. Megan, Harry, I don't care about them. I don't care about William. I don't care about any of them. Like it, they show up on my screen all the time. But there's a small part of me that's just like, well, okay, they're still they're still people and they're going through a thing. And then you kind of have that with Marie Antoinette, especially since she's being kind of taken advantage of throughout this. Like when she when she has a friend just starts basically taking money from her and like gets her into gambling and takes money that way as well. You're just like, oh, okay, like yeah, she's she's kind of stupid and she's kind of like. She's naive and is blind to everything. Mm. So yeah, so as, as the book went on, I, I got a lot more invested. It's great storytelling. And like, I think David said, like, there's no characters he really liked in it. But like, Oscar is definitely the character that you're like, oh, okay, yeah. all right. You've got, she's, she's the character that like kind of stands up to, you know, bad guys. Like, when the story turns and that guy shoots a kid, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that, that like, that hit hard. Yeah, and then you know Oscar reveals kind of like you know who she is really, and you can tell that she's she's the one that's kind of keeping an eye on the situation with with all of France and being like no like Marie Antoinette needs to like connect with these people like what's going on. Oscar's also the one that turns down the gifts and stuff like, and Oscar's loyal too. Mm. Oscar's yeah. the one is one of the only forty people that actually accompanies the casket of. I thought that that panel was really striking. Yeah. Like only forty you know forty guards accompanied the casket to the burial. And it's like Oscar's one of them and it's shown crying. And I think that that was like, they're trying to build this complexity of this character. Mm-hmm. Oscar's so good that it didn't take me long to realize Oscar was fictional. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing with this book is like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this thing with like Madame DuBerry, like did that, did that actually happen? Because it all gets thrown into like questioning territory 
when you realize that Oscar can't possibly be real in the story. So you're like, oh, like it's so tricky with something historical like this, where you're telling the, the life of a real person. Like, how much fiction can you throw in there, and how many extra characters can you throw in there before it becomes like no longer historical? Because I could see, I could see kids or even you know grown ass men like myself reading this and being like, oh, now I have an understanding of Marie Antoinette's story. And what if I'm at a salon? What if I'm with a bunch of like wealthy, <laughs> intelligent people? We're talking about Marie Antoinette. I'm like, well, you know, one of the interesting things is the captain of the guard, Oscar. They'd be like, Oscar. I'm like, oh yes, of course. Well, I'm oh, sorry. It's a woman who was raised as a man. I was like, what are you talking about? Then I'll be like, oh, sorry, I read it in a manga. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that I, I find that stuff just a little bit dodgy. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful story. It's really well told. And like, yeah, Rob's Pierre showing up. Like, it definitely made me want to keep going with this, even though I read 400 plus pages. Like, this goes on to my my retirement reading pile, for sure. But also maybe balanced with having a Wikipedia article on Marie Antoinette open to the side of it, so I know what's what's happening. I've got that open right now, actually, yeah. I figured. <laughs> Mine's Louis the Sixteen. <laughs> I would go look up, like, when there's a woman painting Marie Antoinette, I, you know, Google said, oh, is that a real painter? And is that a real portrait? So it's interesting, right? Because you can read it and bounce back and forth between reality and fiction. I was gonna. I was gonna say too. I didn't. I didn't have the Wikipedia open while I was reading it. I still haven't actually looked at it. But the fact that like so much of the first part is about her interactions with this Madame Duberry, who is the king's mm. sex worker girlfriend, and it's just it's it's reprehensible on every level. So it's very hard to like get into the story mm. because it, it showcases all the things that I hate about people. <laughs> like one. <laughs> the insane stupid rules of royalty which is you cannot talk to this princess until the princess talks to you first like that's just like made up bullshit that i that <laughs> sums up the monarchy and that i hate but then just like maria to just like oh my god a, a sex worker like I, i'll never talk to them like the fact that she hates her so much even though they've never said a word to each other and the fact that they haven't said a word to each other is a thing that creates more problem it's it's wild it's a wild thing to kind of like i mean it does showcase her character showcase i guess how evil and lousy madame duberry is which is also just like oh man just like to shame that character even more <laughs> yeah it was wild uh, well it's the mom it was exactly the yeah. mom yeah at yeah. the end of the yeah. sequence going I can't believe I I did this. I raised her to hate the prostitutes with every fiber of my being. And it's like, yeah. well, I wonder why she feels that way then. And she's causing a stir. You maybe, maybe you screwed up, mom. Yeah. yeah. And it just shows that like, again, she's just a puppet. Like Marie Antoinette is just doing what's, what's told of her. Also, she's and like it, 13 it, there. Like puppet yeah. would be too strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it's such a wild thing too. Just the idea of like anyone in a position of extreme wealth teaching their child to hate a sex worker who is doing that to like feed their family. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, yeah. 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 So it definitely gets off to the, not the wrong foot, but it, if you want any sympathy for any character, it's just, it, there's, there's nothing there. Uh, I don't think about them as like characters that I want to like or dislike. And usually I need that in a story. Like my favorite character is actually Gene who is just unrepentantly a conniving oh, yeah. social climbing monster who's like, yeah. I have been poor and I will never be poor again. And I don't care how many old ladies I have to push off of banisters. To do it. <laughs> I will get to Versailles and I will be yeah. gorgeous. 
And it's like, yeah, that was great. I loved I her. I was surprised like, she left her family. That was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, she yeah. Was yeah. She's like, it's not I'm cool, not going to rot here. No, no, it is cool. That's the thing that, like, it is intrinsic to her character. That may- She is the raven-haired, like, like opposite to Marie Antoinette's pure, like, empty-headedness, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, there's, and it's, the thing I like about it, and I, sorry, I wanted to actually ask a different question, was they weave it in so early like the first volume so reading wikipedia and reading and and knowing a little bit of this this was supposed to be an adaptation of the life of marie antoinette so the first volume like it's based on historical you know facts and you know that dubarry gets kicked out as the king's mistress the second that the king dies and you know that the king dies because marie antoinette becomes queen of france so she's set up as this grand rival at the beginning like this awful older woman with this sordid past right and but she starts weaving in gene in that first volume as well with like a couple of scenes here and there and it's like oh is this so that we see what poverty's like so we understand marie antoinette's actions later it's like no this is the next rival like we just have to get this lady like up you know we have to like build her so that when she becomes a rival she's got just as much backstory and just as much interesting stuff going on and yeah. it was as soon as i saw what was happening there i was like oh this is actually really well written <laughs> like yeah. this oh, isn't yeah. just enjoyable as comics but wow she's working like chapters and chapters and chapters ahead here and there is obviously some feedback and the story does change we'll get to that in a second but I want to talk about a thing that uh, I think maybe David brought up first, and it's the uh, and 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 Deb as well. It's the art, and I have my own thoughts, but I know that with the Tezuka episodes, that when we launched with Phoenix, you guys really bounced off of the really cartoony moments in Phoenix, the like gaggy sort of Looney Tunesy moments that would switch back and forth. Whereas in this, I personally felt they actually fit really well. I'd be interested to get your takes on on the art in general and that that sort of like slapstick cartooniness back to real or yeah not even realism i'd love to get hear your thoughts page 394 395 when they find out how much she spent gambling or one gambling rather Mm like has a bunch of like caricatures on it and the facing page has like a really detailed like realistic drawing that all the other drawings are caricatures i think it works a lot better in this one and it's actually like that kind of swapping back and forth is what made me think of tesco earlier because I don't know, it's I don't know, Deb. How about you? What do you think about the uh, the flip flopping in this one? I actually found it really funny. <laughs> there was like that like that moment where like the nanny's yelling at her, and then Marie goes, "Oh, three cavities." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just little moments yeah. where you think, "Okay, this is fun." It like it, this is actually meant to be entertaining, not like you know there are tons of historical biography manga but this kind of turns it into something i don't know gives it more gives it a little more balance because otherwise it's just this like so serious right and so dramatic and so much tears and reminds me of like you know like on one piece right where one piece is like it's got some wacky shit and then some really mm-hmm. heartbreaking stuff yeah. i think one piece integrates it much better but this I mean, I keep having to remind myself, this is manga that was meant for, you know, tweens, you know, tw- yeah. 12-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. Meant to, you know, sweep them up in this world of fantasy and uh, of, of, a, of a, it's a real world, but, you know, so far removed from the Japan of the 1970s, right? I mean, big fluffy skirts and, 
giant hair and all kinds of romantic intrigue. It's I've been reading a lot of Korean webtoons, and there's a ton of that. Mm-hmm. Like like a ton of like the stories about royalty and big dresses and I can't oh I can't possibly love this person because they're blank and they're blank and or oh I you know I was killed in the other life and now I'm a villainess and I'm here to you know beat up people and take names. How do you, what's that phrase again? Kick ass bubblegum. Huh? What? You do it, Chris. Kick ass and take names. Is that what you're Kick thinking? ass and take names, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm done with the names. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were right. David was right. It was the bubblegum one. Yeah. Look for the show. We're here to chew, chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. So it's, and then when you think about it in the context of most shoujo manga before was written by men, right? For girls, what mm. they thought girls wanted to read. And it it's it's kind of like, like at the same time, there were, if you look at American girls' comics, there was all that romance comics drawn by Neil Adams and stuff, right? <laughs> or <laughs> like Kirby, Kirby ones, which were kind of disturbing, yeah. Which I loved, but like Kirby's romance characters were pescaries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is like at the same time, this is happening. Like this is stories written by women for girls, mm. and it gives them all the trashy joy that girls love to this day. <laughs> And girls love revolution. Yes. yes that's the other thing. Headings. <laughs> yeah. I really love this. Speaking of the superimposition, I don't know if it's going to pick up. Oh, there we go. Uh, I really mm. loved this panel where it's almost a three quarter overhead of Marie Antoinette walking towards Oscar, but they're pulled out and then superimposed over the rest of the scene. And when this came out, it was just like this stunningly beautiful, like these two characters sort of seeing one another. And I really loved that in terms of like just how much energy was there but also going back to the other art part this i liked and this was a good example i think of what this series does well and you've got this like beautifully drawn version of madame du barry right like if you look just at the outlines other than like the fingers are a little pointier but then they've done a super cartoony stylized face within the confines and then surrounded her in flames in the background. With like, and that's actually hatching too, which I think is really lovely. And like, so I feel like it's a good metaphor, visual metaphor for how the cartooniness is integrated into the work that I find really fascinating with this particular work where there, it is just very beautiful people. And then the occasional, you know, average roly poly guy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of moving through this space until it's time for like a outsized emotion like shock and then all the characters in the background will look shocked in a cartoony sort of a way in a slightly more cartoony way or anger or when someone's trying to avoid someone else and is running away their their feet do that little uh sort of round swirly, swirly lines thing <laughs> yeah. that like looney tunes characters do it's showing that there's so much influence from so many different spaces especially uh contemporary animation western animation is in here as well and I think that that's, that's really fascinating, but it, it's so ungrounded, I guess is maybe what I want to say is that like, it's not like a, like a book where you have lots of like staccato panels and things are sort of boring. And then you break out of that. Mm. Every page is someone floating over someone else or, or an aspect position or something like that. Did that ever get to be too much in the storytelling for you? Chip in particular, I know you, uh, you think a lot about this kind of thing. No, no, I think it works really well with this. Mm. Yeah, because it could be it could be 
dry, boring subject matter, really, when you're dealing with historical fiction. So yeah, there's there's such a diversity of layout in here. Yeah, and cartooning style, like, I, I, yeah, I found it all really engaging. Like, as I was reading, I was I was noticing how engaging I, I found it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, I would totally give this to, like, a tween. Like, like there's a lot happening on each page. And there's, it's not the kind of book where there's, like, I wouldn't recommend it to a, fit, a person who likes, like, shoujo adventure comics with fight scenes and mm-hmm. things like that, necessarily. Because while there is violence, it's still done kind of that more, like, impressionistic approach they use with the like layered panels and the different views and things but because yeah. it's not that kind of comic like it does a bunch of other stuff really well like chip was saying what was killing mm. me i think were the like how often they would switch to caricature it would actually be like a good caricature instead of just like a default face like it fits the scene very mm. well it's like storytelling and kind of writing that line of seriousness I know it seems really tough and it seems like they did a really good job, you know, kind of maintaining that feel. Oh, uh, so I went to see the Rosa Versailles 50th anniversary exhibit in Roppongi last month. And I, I purposely went cause it was the last weekend it would be there. And her artwork is immaculate. It's, you mm. could see it was tons of original artwork and there's no screen tone. Everything's hand drawn. All the oh. textures are all hand drawn and it's, I mean, that's not to say that she did all of it, but each page is just gorgeous. And I'm so heartbroken that the art book that came with it doesn't reflect that. Because mm. it's, it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, and she's drew this at the age of 26. Wow. So, like, she became really famous, really successful at 26. And now she's celebrating the 50th anniversary of it. So, yeah, she's like late 70s now, then that's got to be. Yeah. I'm amazed this isn't yeah. more communist if she was 26 while she was doing this. <laughs> she did have a male editor. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, obviously this is still volume one. I mean, yeah. you've got to show all the things that like the communism is for. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you should skip ahead to volume four. That's when the S really hits the fan. I was curious what the reign of terror would look like in this kind of setting because it's so melodramatic. And kind of like focused on how people interact with each other versus like the the greater forces around them. Like there's mm-hmm. a bit about like Austria and France, their alliance falling apart. But it's because of like the Madame Duberry, like beef, you know, it has yeah, that very yeah. kind of basic root. But don't you think like they could have romanticized how badly Louis XV died of smallpox, but they made it look like, oh my God. Yeah. I had no idea smallpox was that bad. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that guy looked gross when he died. <laughs> that was like <laughs> he did look gross. Oof. Also, I mean, this is a bit maybe a bit much for the podcast, but because I didn't read the Wikipedia, but Marie Antoinette's husband, they just mentioned in one panel that she's still a virgin because of some problem he has. Yeah. Do, what was his problem? Oh, he was just sorry. Did you not watch that movie with the Claire? Not Claire Danes. What was the movie? Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten Dunst, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the, the one that um, Sofia Coppola directed, right? Yeah, which yeah, was delightful, actually, but a lot of people also hate it, so whatever. Basically, he just couldn't get it up. He was, like, afraid of girls, because he had never... Mm. You know, he was raised... Sorry, he was raised away from, like, women and girls, and, like, then was told, 
all right, you're married now. Time to go in there, do what you're supposed to do, and have a baby. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, actually? So the <laughs> whole the movie close. actually has a pretty good extended <laughs> sequence about that. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> but they couldn't, they didn't end up having children, but, or no, they did. They did end up having children, that's right. And it happened later, so. But yeah, yeah. It's, he just couldn't, he was just like, it really shows how, what do I want to say here? Ignorant both of these characters were like of like their own life and their own standing. Like, yeah, he, she's still a virgin because he just didn't know what he was doing basically until finally in the movie, actually someone steps in and is like, so you put your, like, and they kind of tr- like gently try to explain it to the King who could have them murdered with like a snap of his yeah. fingers. And wow. he's like, Oh, Oh, because I lay with her and nothing happens. And it's like, are you just laying there? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so you think about the chill so, part of Netflix and chill. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. 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 Netflix yeah. And chill, but you're literally just chilling watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but you also can't really, I, I think they get to that later. They must get that to that later on. So this, the, the other thing about this is that like this book ends with her being 19, I think, or 20. She goes on mm-hmm. to like they cover this first volume of five that we we read most of covers like I don't know seven years of her life, but the next four volumes cover like until she she passes away at third or is murdered or killed I don't know at thirty seven. So like <laughs> the next seventeen years are like they really sort of dig in and it's life at court and the things that are happening in the building revolution. Gotcha. The artwork goes up to the next level, like the oh, drama. Yeah, yeah that's really stunning. Is that Oscar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I noticed her sleeves were like suddenly got really well drawn about halfway through this volume. Yeah. <laughs> like they stood out a little Here's bit. Here's your violence. <laughs> oh, the storming oh, of the Besky. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, you yeah. can skip ahead to volume four. <laughs> <laughs> I said I didn't like it, it, almost any of the characters earlier. And it's less that I want to like them to like the story. And it's more that now I'm like, I need like the reign of terror to come faster and faster and faster. I'm already convinced <laughs> that they earned it. <laughs> Because it's so, from a point of view, even though it's very open and kind of like into the idea of helping the poor, the mm. point of view is still very much from the top down. To, well, this is what's And sometimes there's some good juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. About Rosa Versailles, that the point of view does change. Mm. So it, it's mentioned in the Wikipedia, but Erica Friedman, a friend of the podcast, is an editor on this title. And it's like, due to reader feedback, they're like, we actually don't, like the readers who are reading are like, we don't like Marie Antoinette. She's not a very interesting heroine we really like oscar <laughs> and andre we wish she would die could that happen yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yes don't worry but by like the third volume focus shifts entirely to oscar and we start to see that at the end of this volume when we sort of when he watches the boy be murdered and when mm-hmm. he like is uh, he uh she uh i don't really hmm. she it's, prefers it's lady my lord, oscar, but she uses my lord right like but she uses she right so yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get say she he are both acceptable <laughs> pronouns for Oscar. Probably. I don't know why, yes. but I just I just pictured Oscar's Twitter profile and under pronouns it says she slash my lord. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. I mean, yeah, it would work. Yeah, yeah, it works. So someone make that. Someone who's listening, yeah. go make that right now before yeah, Twitter yeah. like it doesn't already exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that hasn't come up in our conversation so far is that like Oscar is a type now. Like mm. she's a character who's shown up over and over, even like not knowing a lot about shoujo as I do. Like I've seen Oscar type characters before, and it's kind of cool to see this like very foundational. Like here's what this is like before it takes off and becomes like an icon. 
Yeah. And iconic portrayal, maybe. So we talk about the prince archetype. Yeah. Yeah. She's some of the bit mm-hmm. in some of the books that we've read, like yeah. the high school ones where it's like. Exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. All the boys are into her, and all the girls are into her, but they don't know why. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of that in this. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oscar's kind of perfect. She's the boy that girls wish boys were more like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, it's like all, like all the things I like, like a girl who gets my emotional side, but it can still wield a sword, be gallant, and you know, be cool. So. I don't know what that fantasy is, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rescues people, turns down gifts. Yeah, has a horse. You know, has a horse. Yeah. Oh, horse! Horse used to be a big thing, right, for girls. Yeah, oh, <laughs> still a lot is. of good horse. All is disobeys the house arrest orders to go and learn what the people are saying. Like, come on, Oscar's clearly fictional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is. The storytelling of this is so good that even though I resent Marie Antoinette and all she stands for, I totally could recommend this really effectively to several friends who are yeah. into this kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really good vibe. Like, we capture a mood. She captures the mood very well. Yeah. Hmm. This is from 72, and Tezuka's Princess Night, which was maybe the, like, first, you know, girl who wants to go on adventures and be more of a prince than a, or a knight than a, than a princess, was 50, 53 to 56. And I think it's really interesting to see how far that idea has come from like 56 to 72, where it's like, not just like a little girl, but like, like even, you know, Oscars, I think 14 or 13 or 14, when you sort of get introduced to them as like on the Royal Guard and stuff, it is still very young, but like super talented with a blade and like, you know, just and smart and nice. And then, you know, 19 or 20 by the end of the first volume. And I think that that archetype, is you know like like the tezuka was the prototype stage and this is like what became of the prince character and i think the prince character is often is like maybe modeled or if not named after after oscar and oscar's uh, participation in this but also to around the same time that's when like rock and roll was big right like 70s rock and roll Mm. like like your robert plant looking guy is like the hot guy yeah androgynous rock and roll stars with their long hair and their tight clothing it was scandalous <laughs> which actually looks a lot like how, uh, how oscar's drawn to this he's just wearing leotards at all time which i think is fantastic real yeah. david bowie hours mm. yeah yeah with a series this rich i think we could talk kind of indefinitely about it but let's not do that for a change let's have <laughs> go for a shorter episode i think i think final thoughts are in order and i will let whoever wants to start on some final thoughts start on some final thoughts all right i'll go i quite liked it even though i hate the monarchy uh (laughs) i can't i can't state that enough because it's still it's still really good solid storytelling and even if you kind of detest the characters and their station in life it still manages to elicit a bit of sympathy for them and and it's so good like you mentioned earlier just about weaving all these characters and their stories throughout and like towards the end of this volume like you definitely get a feel that it is shifting towards the characters of the you know quote-unquote common folk so it, it's, it's one of these books that i'm probably going to pick up the next one again in my retirement years <laughs> i like very it. good i want to thank all of the young girls of japan of 1972 for being like marie antoinette sucks please kill her as soon as you can <laughs> 
makes me much more likely to keep reading Rose of Versailles to see what goes down next. Because, yeah, Chip's right. Oscar is an undeniable character. The monarchy should be abolished. And, like, the cartooning in this is so much fun. Like, I, I don't, like, know all of the nuances of shoujo manga storytelling. You know, I can recognize galaxy eyes and, like, flowers. These probably mean something. But this is, like, so crisp and clear. And the flip-flopping between, like, realism and cartooniness is, like, so deft, I think, that it adds a lot to the work. So that even when it is being kind of a bore about rich people having rich people problems right next to extremely poor people, it's funny at the same time. So, yeah. yeah well done. Good job, everybody involved. <laughs> Deb, did you have uh, <laughs> a good job you want to talk for any other thoughts? <laughs> I've had Rosa sign my shortlist for this show for quite a while. But I think I told Chris this. I thought we needed to wait a little while to give, you know, Chip some natto. Yeah. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. <laughs> the melodrama, the art style. But I feel like this is a good time because, you know, like if we threw this on you in the first season, I think you would have really bounced harder off of it, honestly. Mm. Yeah, maybe. It's an important work and I'm glad to see it in English. Um, it's, I haven't really sat down and read all five volumes. I've read up to maybe volume two. But when I when I was flipped ahead to volume four and looked at the artwork, it just gets more and more beautiful and dynamic. And you know, if if you just kind of take away the part where you go, oh, it's girls' comics and oh, they have those big eyes and there's flowers and sparkles, there's some really dynamic storytelling, visual storytelling and paneling and how she does this. It's mm. like, you know, you can you can poo-poo it all you want and go like, oh, well, it's just girl stuff. It's like, no, there's stuff you can learn from this because it's pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's very inventive, but especially for that era. I don't think, I think if you put it next to a, an American comic of that same era, you wouldn't see that same kind of inventiveness, that same kind of drama and passion that you would, that you see here. And I think that's really important to remember. Yeah. One of the things, Deb, that you just mentioned, I love that they did this like, crazy ass like sketchy outline around oscar on this page when he's like showing his anger and his like resentment towards what's what's about to happen and it's just yeah there's so many really interesting little artistic quirks here that do feel very inventive like i don't even see them now very often let alone you know having no, seen them in 1972 oh is that what chips in the show yeah, maybe. Ah. Yeah, yeah. We we got it. Yeah, it's it's a scene where you know I guess the nobles are talking about like the spending of Marie Antoinette, and that's that thick, sketchy kind of outline is used to depict them. But also the fact that they're all broken up into panels, like, and they're hollow what? too. Like it's just they're, they're hollow, the anonymous yeah. faces of the crowd, and we see how they feel and like. Yeah what their station is but we but they're not important <laughs> which i think is yeah great. <laughs> yeah it's 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 really really well done yeah if you want another like a show notes touchstone for those christopher put in some pictures of rod heiss the comics artist R -E -I -S. Okay. okay yeah he's brazilian he's done like new mutants x-men stuff like that but he draws with those chunky outlines that's what oh, made, i love that's that, what i yeah. thought of when i first saw this panel yeah mm. yeah he's he's got like a sankovich vibe yeah. Cool. Yeah. Look at this one when they're like, like Jean and is seeing her sister again. Like, oh, look yeah. at that oh, drama. Yeah. With yeah. Like, that's the psychic energy between the two of them <laughs> that radiates like both in front of and behind them. It's a sound effect that has three dimensionality in their space. 
<laughs> also, you know, I mean, I know we're we're already done talking about this, but what what a scene that was where like the sister comes and Jean's like, Oh, oh my goodness, my sister, yeah, I'll go get you some money and she's crying and stuff. She leaves the room and then sends in her husband to like beat her up. It's just horrible. Yeah, that was, uh... That what was like a, a terrible character joke or something. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, was so yeah. Good. Oh. <laughs> Gene is a real life person, by the way. Not no spoilers, but I love oh, Gene that is real. The third Takarazuka performance. Yeah. Oh. If we do shout outs, I'll do a very brief summary. But all don't. right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my final thoughts. I actually uh, launched a recommending this with huge conflict of interest spoiler announcement but I'll, so I'll save you that but basically uh, I'm doing more fruit on Deb and I are doing some books of Dudon through Manga Explaining Extra so this with a grain of salt but man I love this edition of this book so much all of the extra art the t- like the chapter title pages that they've included in this that are not always in the Japanese editions the fact that it's color throughout like the second volume is reprinted in here and it starts with the color pages that were in the original second volume. Like how often are those just printed in black and white in North American manga? Like, and then obviously the hardcover, like it's a stunning, stunning hardcover book. I'm just so happy with this edition. And I brought up a lot of complaints during our classic manga run from last season, where we were looking at some of the, like the archival omnibusy books, not naming naming names because I don't want to call it any publishers. It's hard publishing manga, but I do think that this this edition of the book is is really nice, and I'm really glad that there's such such high attention to detail on it. So, yeah, wow. and then, in addition, I mean, like right right down to, oh, sorry, it mentions when the stories appeared and the order they appeared, like mm-hmm. Margaret Magazine issue, whatever, 1972. Like that's something I specifically was like, oh, I wish that it happened on this other book, so we knew how, why all of a sudden the, the stories at the end go to full color and seem to be set ten years later. So, like, yeah, I I like this edition a lot. At the exhibit, they had rows of her size editions in, I think, 20 different languages. And no no Jeez. exaggeration, the Udon one was the most beautifully presented mm. one in the world, even outpacing the Japanese edition. Like, it is that beautiful because it's the artwork that they did. This is original to this edition. This is not from the Japanese edition at all. Mm. That's, That's rare. Amazing. Like, getting something like that approved in localization is like finding a unicorn. Well, that's yeah, why it well, took that's so why long. That's why the first volume was five <laughs> years late. Yeah. People still salty about that on the internet. And I can't like, yeah, we're announcing it's coming out 2016 and it comes out 2021. It took a while, but the edition's really nice. The other, the other final thought was it was nice seeing where so many of the things that I think are really interesting about manga came from. Like the like the storytelling styles, the like mampu, the like little bits of stuff. I loved seeing that in this book. And it was just Every page was like, I would flip it and be just delighted with what, like with, with this new, you know, the three-dimensional sound effects or something I keep going back to, but they're so neat. Or like the emotional storytelling or all this stuff that has become staples of manga and, and is used in manga to convey ideas started out in books like this, you know, 50 years ago. So pretty cool. 50th anniversary of Rosa Versailles. And we covered it. Boy, did we cover it. And I'm sure there's much more. We'll put a lot of links in the show notes to other places you can go read more because there's more, a lot more to be discussed. So on behalf of the whole Manga Explaining team, this has been Rose of Versailles. We'll be back after the break with some shout outs at the very least. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And we are back. We got to get going pretty quick this week. So let's just do some quick shout-outs. Let's do some quick shout-outs about things that we like in the world. Because why not? We could all use a little positivity, right? David, you said you had a shout out you wanted to do that was related to the podcast this week. Takarazuki, yeah. did you want to go first? Or do you need to yeah, do I'll some research? Oh, okay. I mean, not that you said it has to be positive. I got to completely rephrase how I was going to frame it. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, so making it quick, Takarazuka is a Japanese performance troupe. Comprised entirely of ladies. They've been around, I think, for 60 something years now. A very long time, at the very least. And they put on various shows, both like standard plays like Hamlet. And also maybe like a Lupin the Third play that features Marie Antoinette, Count Cagliostro, and John from Roads of Versailles, which we just read, and also history. Essentially, Lupin the Third is one of my favorite manga anime properties. It's like gentleman thief thing. There's like a gunman. There's a samurai, a femme fatale. It's very cliche, but like a good kind of cliche for me. And so I saw this kind of all ladies version, and it was amazing. They get mm-hmm. back to Marie Antoinette times. They have to find a necklace that John actually probably helped steal in real life with the guy Reto, who's mentioned for a moment. Mm. He's the one who forged the will for her in Rose of Versailles. And so reading this was kind of weird. I was like, wait, I kind of recognize this name and character a little bit because I've seen the weird funhouse, like super hot version from the stage play, which I brought on Blu-ray on one of Christopher's trips to Tokyo. I think it was a TCAF in Tokyo trip. Yeah. I went on a hunt to Ginza to find it. Because that was the only way to see it at the time. And they put it on YouTube a couple of years later. But yeah, so Takarazuka Lupin Third, it has a cool Rosa Versailles tie-in in that it's basically just Rosa Versailles without Oscar. So they can just do the public domain version. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> nice. So that story of the missing necklace is actually in a later volume of Rosa Versailles here. It's like a famous Marie Antoinette situation. Also, mm-hmm. I did want to say, as a follow-up to those of you who aren't super monarchist, I have good news about the ending of Rosa Versailles. You're gonna, you're gonna get, uh, you're gonna get a pretty good answer. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Deb, did you have a shout out for us this week? This is probably not super related to Rosa Versailles, but I did just get this in the mail today. It's Minami Kuta's oh. not, "Not All Girls Are Stupid." Um, oh, cool! From, from our friends at Starfruit Books. Nice. Um, it's. We should read it because it's. Um, where do we put this. It's it's very frank about <laughs> what it's like being a woman and having sex and having the guys not exactly mean everything they say. But mm. what makes this fun is not all girls are stupid and the girls are totally totally in on it. I mean, it's it's refreshing and surprising and super blunt. <laughs> nice. I think it's one of her earlier works, maybe done in like the 90s, but it's kind of like Kyoko Okazaki. Uh, the woman who did Helter Skelter, kind of that Mm -hmm. kind of vibe. So it's a slim little volume. It's available in print and digital. Do check it out. I enjoyed it a bunch. Does that have like a clear overlay on the cover or is it just super glossy? Just glossy. Oh man, it's a good cover. Hmm. It's a great job. Nice. Uh, That's great. Uh, We got to meet Minami Kuta when Deb and I were in Japan together. 
a couple nice. weeks ago. And that was actually really nice. She was like, from the podcast. And I was like, oh, that's so nice, actually. So thank you, David. You give us an excuse to be recognized by a Japanese manga artist. Yeah, I make nice. it up. pretty fun. <laughs> it makes up for that chip rolls. making so we can never meet Hayao Miyazaki. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I hear we're not missing much. <laughs> Look, it's, 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 it's pretty good work. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's going somewhere. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Chip, did you have a shout out for us this week? It's actually uh, Nausicaa Volume 2. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you finally yeah. read it. So I had this thing happen on the weekend, which is so rare in this age of like knowing everything that's coming. Where Jessica and I were in, we live on a tiny island. We we're in uh, the little bookstore there. And, and Jessica's like, oh, did you know about this? And she pointed at a book. And it was a sequel to my favorite novel that I didn't know was coming. Oh. Which is just like, just blew my mind. My favorite novel is called Less, by an author named Andrew Sean Greer, about a guy named Arthur Less, who's kind of like a, not a famous writer, but famous enough that he gets invited to some things. And so he decides to take up all the invitations to get away from his ex getting married. He just doesn't want to be in the country for it. So it's kind of his adventures through the world. Very funny, very sweet. One of the most beautifully written books ever. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, the sequel was just uh, staring at me. It's called Less is Lost, which kind of continues his journey, but it's through America. And yeah, like I, I got home and I just like, I just barreled through it and I just love it so much. So it's like, yeah, yeah. How How rare is that oh. to just like... Yeah, like, oh my God, the sequel to my favorite novel. That's amazing. Yeah, there you go, Les. I actually just, I was reading it for Gay Book Club in Taipei, because I'm trying to meet people and oh, okay. friends in no Taipei. Kidding. So yeah, we oh, downloaded wow. it for Gay Book Club. So I haven't, yeah, I, I uh, that's interesting. That And so the sequel's out now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been out since oh, I, I looked it up afterwards. I was like, oh, it came out in like September. Yeah, the first one won the Pulitzer Prize. Like, it's like, it's a, it's a book. But it's just, it's so beautifully written and accessible and just like every phrase is just like oh it's one of those books where you stop every few sentences and go oh that's a, the perfect way to describe that mm. yeah very charming when i finished the first one i was in a coffee shop and i just started crying and it's just like it's that kind of that kind of book and the sequel is super great so yeah that's my shout out less and the sequel less is lost wow lovely yeah hmm. right my shout out i actually haven't been taking in much media. I've just sort of been traveling for the last little while. But yeah, I I think I don't have a shout out other than the concept of travel. If you can afford it and you can <laughs> afford the time to do it, just to be somewhere else and get out of your own head a little bit has been really good uh, for me. I recommend it. But And I get to see friends too. I got to see Deb for the first time in a couple of years. So that was super nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh actually, we, that's not true. We saw each other. No, we, we were in Vegas. That, yeah. Oh, and then we went to Vegas. <laughs> Who remembers Vegas? Actually, until you mentioned Vegas, I did not remember that I was in Vegas. <laughs> wow. Whoa. It was a good time. I recommend it. All right. <laughs> I guess, you know what, on that note, I was going to say your shout out is basically saying hit the road, Jack. And I respect that. Hit the road, Jack. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for summing it up considerably more concisely than I did. That's the problem with writing on the internet is you can just keep going indefinitely. I need to I need some paper uh, once again, so I have to cut my <laughs> shit down. Or a podcast, for that matter. This has been an episode of Manga Splating. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you again next time for... Oh, is it Under Ninja next? I'm really looking forward to reading Under Ninja. Yeah. 
Under Ninja. Under next. Ninja. It's going to be so good. Exactly as good as Rose of Versailles and exactly as influential. Wow. And exactly the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Stay <true>. tuned. <laughs> <laughs> This has been our episode on The Rose of Versailles, Volume 1 by Ryoko Ikeda, published by Udon Entertainment. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Under Ninja, Volume 1 by Keigo Hanazawa. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com, or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com, and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.